from the high-flying studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for a very important episode of Chemical-Free Horticultural Hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. I'm always telling you not to feed the birds because you want them to eat your bad bugs instead. But on today's show, we'll reveal a much more sinister problem that can occur when you innocently feed seed to your songbirds. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show, Cats and Kittens. That's right. We will take that heap and helping of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and inherently innocent invitations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers, because it's all coming up faster than you doing your part to avoid a really silent spring right after this. Support comes from Hot Bin Composters, designed to reduce waste and create compost within 30 to 90 days. More information at hotbincomposting-us.com. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden. From the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath. Today, we have an incredibly important warning about what you may be innocently doing to your birds that could wipe out songbirds if people don't stop doing it. As Groucho would have said, it's a common thing. It's something you do every day. Um, But when the duck comes down, that may be the last bird you'll see unless you stop doing this common thing, which we'll reveal at the end of the show. We're also going to take lots of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Carol, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Well, thank you for making it. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm just ducky. All right. Thank you for asking. Ducky loves to be on the show. Um, and where are you, Carol? Uh, Sudbury, Massachusetts. Oh, okay. Uh, what can we do you for? Um, well, I, you know, I actually watch uh, Gardener's World, you know, the British show about gardening, in addition to listening to your podcast religiously. Right. <laughs> and they've just gone crazy on um, talking about how, you know, we shouldn't use peat in, um, you know, anything really I, in our I garden. I understand because they're worried about it being an exhausted resource and damage to the environment by harvesting peat. But what's, except for the accents, what's the biggest difference between my show and theirs? Oh, heavens. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the pictures. How about the pictures? (laughs) How about the fact that they're in England and I'm in the United States of America? And they are absolutely 110% correct in speaking to their European audience. Anybody who's seen uh, Hound of the Baskervilles is very familiar with the peat bogs in England and Scotland and Ireland. And it was a tremendous resource and it was over harvested like mad. And yes, there was environmental problems caused by that. And yes, every responsible gardener in Europe knows not to use peat, to use one of the peat substitutes. 
But the world has shrunk so much, and we have so many listeners all around the world, um, that a lot of times I'll get called out on using peat to increase the acidity around um, oh, uh, azaleas and rhododendrons and blueberries and stuff like that. And the difference is all our peat comes from Canada, where they got more peat than they know what to do with this. This is an important topic to me. I have researched this relentlessly. And I am personally convinced that peat harvested from Canada is totally sustainable. Um, it is replanted, so to speak. There is so much of it. And for me, as a gardener, it is essential when I need to add something that acidifies the soil and also brings the natural antibiotic activity, um, especially in potting mixes. If most potting mixes in America are very heavy on peat, and that almost always prevents damping off disease when you have made the soil too wet for your baby plants. Um, the peat mm -hmm. will uh, deny any disease to get started, unless you're really bad. Mm. So it's not just a soil lightener, it's not just an acidifier, it is a natural plant antibiotic. Matter of fact, something I haven't said, um, which I wish I had said during my seed uh, starting advice at the beginning of the season, is if you have a heavy hand with water and you always have some damping off problems, that's where the baby sprout rots right at the soil line, cover when you're ready, got your potting soil ready, cover it with an inch of peat. And it almost, no matter how ham-handed you are, it will keep those starts alive and healthy. Um, I guess one of the issues is, you know, because peat is a regional resource, so to speak, it, it, it would be counterproductive maybe to send Canadian peat over um, to the UK, or maybe we could disguise it as like the Peace Corps or something. You know, you got enough to eat. Here's, <laughs> here's peat that doesn't harm the environment. But um, okay. you're absolutely right, and I'm absolutely right. It, it's almost like invasive plants. In some cases, uh, the plant in question is native and does well there. In another place, it's like, how can you recommend? How can you recommend this thing? It tore my house down. Yeah. So, right. um, and you don't have to use peat if you don't want. Core C O C O I R from shredded coconut husks um, lightens the soil quite well. Um, I find it difficult to keep wet, and it doesn't acidify, and it doesn't have the antibiotic activity. Um, but if you're a skilled gardener, you know, if you don't mind sulfur, you can use that to take the uh, pH down for certain plants. So, but I love peat, and, but I don't buy it willy-nilly. I haven't actually bought a bale of actual peat in a long time, um, but it's essential for me in finding an organic potting mix. Yeah, well, I just put in two new raised beds, and I was trying to get the to put inside and mm -hmm. everything has peat in it you know well wait a minute um, you built a raised bed you haven't filled them with anything yet 
No, I have. I've got Coast of Maine because, you know, they're one of your sponsors, and I love them. They're a great company. And I like seaweed. Yeah. Yeah. So I – but most of their stuff, I they have compost and peat and, mm-hmm. you know. Um, well, I'll, see, again, here, peat is a renewable resource. Um Okay. Whereby, again, in Great Britain, uh, there are gardeners who would chase you down the street with torches and pitchforks um, for I using know. it while <laughs> they're trying to restore this devastated environment. Right. And it's weird for it to right. be okay here, but not okay across the pond. Um, but as I start, and I've researched this almost more than anything else, it, it is just the physical oh. reality of it's not a problem here and it's a terrible problem there. Okay. Okay. Well, that makes me feel much better because I was I was do you, worried. Do you all, think so. old hippies like Costa Maine would put something <laughs> in their potting mix that wasn't like <laughs> beyond organic? Yeah. No. I mean, I knew it was organic. I just didn't want to be contributing to climate change. You know, we're in the middle of a heat wave in June right now. Oh, tell crazy. me about it. Tell me about it. Yeah. All right. That's yeah. that's why. Now we see what the world is like at 6 a.m. when we get up to work in the garden and get inside by 10. All right. I hope I have reassured you somewhat. Do your own research. Make your own choices. Okay? But for lightening the soil, there's nothing better than perlite. And there's no question about that is mined sustainably. Yes. Okay? Okay. Great. All right. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Good luck to you. Thanks for the question. It's important that I explain that a couple times a year. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. Bye bye. Bye bye. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Katie, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being had, Katie. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I am just Ducky. Ducky's having a fabulous show today. <laughs> uh, and where is Katie? I am in Greenville, South Carolina. Oh, okay. Uh, South Carolina. All right. Hot and humid right now. What can we do for Katie yeah, in exactly. South Carolina? Yeah. Well, that's part of the problem. Uh, I was gifted a couple trees and bushes by mm-hmm. my brother and his partner, Ron, who are have a fabulous garden at their home in Nashville. And they had some items left over, and they brought them to me. Mm-hmm. Very sweet as a gift. And uh, they're to be planted in my yard, but my yard is a construction zone right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just stashed the plants on our front porch at the rental house where we're staying. Right. 
Uh, well, it got really hot mm-hmm. for a few days here, really quick. Like it was up to ninety degrees for a few days. Yeah, that's what and we're no getting. Rain, in, that's and... what we're getting in Pennsylvania, <laughs> where there's no excuse. Well, it's pretty typical for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so these. But unfortunately, so this. It will become clear that I'm a very amateur gardener, but you are helping me learn. Okay. But in this case, the 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 care of these special trees kind of fell to the bottom of the to-do list. Okay. Let me ask you so how the, special no, let yeah. me ask you how special they are and are they in pots? They're in pots. Yes, they're in um like kind of the disposable type pots you would get at like a garden store. Oh. Made of like peat or something? No, 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 not that type. Like plastic. You never throw away plastic. You reuse it until it's oh. invisible. Oh God, I'll take all your old plastic okay. pots. Okay. Okay. So, what are the trees? Okay, another. Okay, so I'm learning. So the ones that are primarily affected are red twig dogwood. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, and that's the big and deal. So they're. Le- so listen. Well, uh, dogwoods, yeah, mostly because they were given to me. No, 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 that's fine. Dogwoods have a very special requirements. Uh, they like a lot of sun in the morning and no sun in the afternoon. So, you know, that's important uh, to know when you're planting them. You have to find a spot where they're going to get afternoon shade or you're going to have to provide the shade artificially. Are they in full sun on your porch? They were, and yes. Were, are they now in the local graveyard? What? <laughs> well, um, well, that's my question. Um, so the leaves started curling up, and that was my cue. Okay, I better water these. I watered them, and nothing happened. Um, okay. So the leaves started turning brown, and it did not look good. Now, since then, as I've um, so I moved them into the shade, and I've been keeping up with them in the watering, and right. I have noticed some new growth. Yeah, you did exactly the so right I thing. I hope. Yeah, uh, you know it's a good thing they don't charge for toll calls anymore because you're doing exactly the right thing. Yeah. Uh, keep them in dappled shade, and um, you know, rock the containers. Uh, if the containers feel light, that means they need water. If the container feels super heavy, back off on the water because you don't want to drown them. And I want you to keep them in dappled shade until, in the Carolinas, I'm going to say until Thanksgiving. And then plant them. Yes, uh, because I want all the heat to have broken in your area. It is better to install plants in the fall than in the spring. So there's no harm done, and it's actually going to benefit the plants. But they need shade in the afternoon. So if you don't have that, but you nurse them back to health, give them to somebody else. It's like the, you know, the Christmas mm. fruitcake. Uh, it, it makes many gifts before it's finally tossed. Um, but you're doing exactly the right thing. Keep them in dappled shade. Keep up on the watering. And it, wherever they're planted, they like morning sun, but they can't take it in the afternoon. Their leaves turn brown and curl up, as you well know. Okay? Got it. Okay, so I have to tell you, I also um, started cutting off some of the brown leaves. 
good or bad? Well, it's done. <laughs> Don't cut off anymore. Do what we said. Uh, light a okay. candle to the Blessed Mother, and all will be well. Okay. <laughs> all right? Great. Thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Take care. It's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will make my first post-COVID appearance live and in person at the Bayshore Center in Port Norris, New Jersey, which is about an hour and a half south of Philadelphia on Saturday, August 28th at 3.30. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support comes from Hot Bin Composters, designed to be compact, odor-free, and easy to use. They can help anybody get started composting. More information at hotbincomposting-us.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in beautiful Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, beautiful Mike McGrath. And we have a critically important question of the week that's going to apply to a great percentage of you. It's about killing your songbirds. Are you doing this accidentally? Are you making the birds that visit your feeders sick? It's really important that you change your ways if you do. We'll tell you all about it after a couple more of your fascinating phone calls at 888-492-9444. Lisa, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? I'm just ducky. Thanks for asking, Lisa. Now, I have to admit, Lisa and I were talking for a second before she came on the air. We do that with everyone. One of two questions. One is, what was your first car? For Lisa, I asked, what did you have for breakfast? Lisa, your answer? Scrapple. Oh, my goodness. And that's when I said you had to be in the greater Philadelphia area because I think even vegetarians secretly sneak in some scrapple, cut it super thin, and fry it to a crisp. Oh, 
it's it's a thing of beauty. Yeah, okay. it really <laughs> is. And you are in the greater Philadelphia area. Uh, did you say you were in Harleysville? Harleysville. Yep, I'm uh, from Harleysville. Know that very well. All right, what can we do for Lisa in Harleysville other than present her with a pound of pure sausage? That's kind of a contradiction <laughs> like in that. kind of a contradiction <laughs> in term pure sausage. <laughs> All right. What can, I, I like it. I like it. I'll take it. What can we do you for? So I have some. Uh, I have some uh, lilacs that are very old. Um, when my parents bought this property back in 1965, uh, they were already as tall as they currently are, which is I'd have to guess about uh, like at least 15 feet. Good. And they run down the entire length of the property. So they're beautiful. They provide lots of. Um, privacy, lots of beauty. Uh, they're just great. And I would absolutely hate to lose them. Hmm. And on the, on the roadside, uh, I'm having some erosion issues. And you sent an email uh, quite a while ago and you included photos of this line of lilacs. And I'm sure we can retrieve them and show them as we're speaking right now. Now, I'm going to tell you my interpretation of those pictures, that mm -hmm. the lilacs on the inside that is closest to your house, furthest than the road, they looked really good. Your concern was on the roadside where the road had eroded, uh, the soil had eroded enough that you could see some of the roots and you were concerned, perhaps correctly, that this was only going to get worse rather than better. And the township had already denied you um, permission to put up a buffer of some kind because everything was already too close to the road. Is that correct? Correct. They really didn't like the idea of a retaining wall because, again, they felt it was too close to the road. They didn't see that it was an immediate hazard for uh, drivers that are going past, and then they were also concerned if somebody hit it, uh, who would pay for it. <laughs> so right. I, but I feel like I need to do something. Right, because those of us with uh, very old houses know all too well uh, the township owns, I think, it, depending on where you live, it's 25 or 35 feet from the center line. My poor next door neighbors yeah, do not. Yeah, my poor next door neighbors do not own a large portion of their porch. Um, so, uh. I mean, this all these places were built to be close to the road because then you could theoretically get out in the winter time and everything like that. Um, I looked at the pictures. Re I couldn't even tell what you were concerned about until I looked at that final shot um, from the roadside. And, uh, you know, mm -hmm. I, can, I can understand the township that, you know, all this stuff has to be permitted. And there was mm -hmm. a fabric of some kind you were interested in? Actually, it was a, uh, a, a something, I think it was called EnviroLock, which was kind of neat. It, it's almost like, for lack of a more technical term, dirt bags in a way <laughs> that have some hey, sort of hey, fabric. Hey, hey, lady. <laughs> That's Mr. Dirtbag to you, okay? <laughs> it's a whole bunch of dirt bags in a row. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, so these bags, you'd essentially pile them up 
and then the theory is to be able to do some planting of some roots that are plants that'll really take hold in there and help to stop the erosion. Yeah, which I, I thought was interesting. Yeah, I can see the township turning thumbs down on that too. Um, I heard your concern through the emails, and when I looked again at the side by the road, I could see why you were concerned. One thing I want to lead off with is I don't think they're in any danger at all. Go through any woodland that has ups and downs, and you'll see all of the roots of a giant tree um, totally open to the wild. And believe it or not, that tree is healthier and has a better chance of not falling down than a tree that's been mulched or protected in any way. Um, hmm. I have a lilac. I don't find them to be shallow rooted. Um, but here's one weird idea that just occurred to me. Um, NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Were you to... Mm -hmm feed them gently though not with crazy numbers um a phosphorus high um fertilizer that would encourage better root growth as would a little bit of potassium um not nitrogen they don't need that we want the growth to be directed towards healthier happier bigger roots I know that's not a direct approach, but I think it, it might um, be the final thing that helps them. Um, and then I forget if I emailed you back or not, it was a crazy time, but I thought about something I have seen and even done, well, when I was a park ranger, that was my first job out of college in Pennypack Park in Philadelphia, um, after lunch, all morning long, we had school kids coming through so we could uh, run our trained skunk that had been descented up and down the <laughs> seats they were on. And that was a good way to clear the room. Um, in the afternoon, we <laughs> built erosion barriers. Um, and we didn't use any tools or any objects from outside the forest. We would find a, a good-looking, long, healthy piece of wood, you know, branch off a tree, we drive that into the ground, and then we do the same for the length of whatever it is we were trying to keep from eroding further. And then inside this line of natural spikes, we would lay a couple of other branches down. And instead of losing your soil, what happens is it accumulates by those other branches laying down. Um, it's not obvious um, to the township, who I hope are not watching this show or listening. Um, and I don't <laughs> think it, it's nothing to be permitted. You don't need a permit to do this. You're not building anything. You're just reusing your dead wood or the dead wood mm -hmm. from the park down the road or <laughs> whatever. Um, but we built these all summer long that year. And they were amazingly effective, and they looked good. They just looked natural. You don't have these bags of dirt too close to the road. Um, and I, I, I think it, it's a great answer, and it's not going to upset the authorities. I like, uh, I like the natural idea of it, too. And, you know, I was thinking, uh, I was also thinking 
stone and not not tiny stone, not boulders, uh, but something that would all because it's actually eroding down almost to rock under there. Okay. And being an old home, uh, I think at one point in time, there are various points, there was uh, stone walls and yeah. uh, not not that I'm seeing stone wall, I'm seeing more natural rock. But uh, but yeah, to try, I should see if I could get some of what you're saying in there. If I can stake something in, I like that and build yeah. it up. And if you build the erosion barrier carefully enough, that will stop the dirt, and then the dirt will slowly build up. And once it's about halfway up the barrier, don't be afraid to put some premium topsoil on top and. If you need to, maybe build it higher. Um, I'm sure you're going to get the stakes in the ground. Just sharpen the bottoms. Actually, hilarious in a way because I had mentioned something else about holding up our uh, something else on the property, and I said to my husband, "We'll just sit on the the porch and we'll just whittle the ends and you know yeah. and just spears." So I'm going to tell him that uh, Mike is in favor of uh, resurrecting my idea about whittling. Whittling, yeah. that's right. Well, and again, I think it's <laughs> going it. to it's going to look natural. It's not going to draw the attention of the gendarmes. And if you start laying brick out there, you're going to jail. I like it. Along with the uh, and the phosphorus and the potassium, are you an advocate of in this particular uh, situation of mycorrhiza? Um. Yes, actually, mycorrhiza are um, naturally occurring soil organisms uh, that in many cases attach themselves to the roots of plants for a beneficial purpose. So, yeah, um, try to buy it from a place where it hasn't been sitting in the sun and it has a good expiration mm -hmm. date on it. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much. You've helped me with so many things over the years. I, I always appreciate your advice. Thank you. 888-492-9444. Michelle, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Thank you. Well, thank you, Michelle. How are you doing? Pretty good. How are you? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Ducky's proud to be back again after a little vacation. Um, where is Michelle? I'm outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Well, where? Uh, Nacrona Heights. Which heights? Natrona. It's a little bit north of uh, the city. Oh, okay. North of Pittsburgh. All right. Okay. What can we do you for? Well, I have got a couple of um, carpenter bees uh, living above the um, my back door. Mm -hmm. And uh, you walk out onto a porch. So they are kind of, um, they're, you know, I, I don't want them to be there. But I want to avoid killing them if I can. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, I was hoping that – go ahead, sorry. No, you go ahead. Um, I, I peeked into the hole the other day. I was hoping they had finished their cycle for the summer and that they moved out and I could plug the holes and then paint the wood. But I can actually see bees in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I should know more about the life cycle. But if you – look online at a good university extension website or call your local extension service. They'll be able to tell you when uh, the babies are born and everything is done. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I, they probably, actually I have no idea whether they reuse those galleries or not. 
Um, what you okay. what you can do now is go to a hardware store or a home center and get some solid blocks of cheap, soft pine, untreated pine. And okay. use a uh, use a drill with a five eighths inch bit to drill starter holes okay. into the block of pine, just in like a half an inch, and hang these. Okay. Do, you, do you have trees or anything near um, near this area? Um, I don't have any trees in the backyard. I have trees in the front yard. Um, so nothing close by. But I'm just thinking. Um, I wouldn't want to put it on a fence, right? Oh, I sure. Go ahead. I mean, you know, if okay. if the fence is un unpainted wood, they're going to go for it anyway. But okay. uh, put up a whole bunch of these nesting blocks, and then as uh, you know, if if you really want, you can wait till they're out pollinating. Um, but if you can find out when the babies are born, it would be nice to do this afterwards. But get the blocks up now. And um, okay. if it's safe, that is, uh, the nest is empty while they're out gathering pollen, then you would immediately uh, put up a, you know, staple up some metal screening so they can't get back in the original hole. And then spray that whole thing with almond oil. Um, don't buy it. Okay. Don't buy it in like a health food store. Go to a massage therapist supply house or buy it online. They sell it uh, by the gallon because that's the carrier oil okay. that massage therapists use. Okay. And if you just stain, what is it, redwood or cedar? The wood. Um, actually, yeah, it's just it's just pine. It's it's pine that uh, wasn't treated for outside use. Gotcha. When somebody replaced the door. So yeah, that's, that's yeah. In. in cowboy architecture, I know all about it. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. So you can try just staining the wood with almond oil. I mean, you got a gallon of it. You put it on with a paintbrush okay. and keep the old hole, uh, you know, boarded up, so to speak. But if you put up enough of these nesting blocks in the right kind of place, um, you should have them nesting in there so you get their fabulous pollination and uh, they don't eat your house. And by the way, they are very yeah. slow to do any kind of structural damage. So it's, and they won't bother you if you don't bother them. So, you know, they're, um, it, it, it's not urgent that you take care of this, but it is good that you take, okay. take care of it. So get the wood blocks up. Right stain it with almond oil and really that should be all you need to do okay that sounds good all right i'll give it a try all right good luck to you thank you very much mike oh uh, my pleasure bye-bye well it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody out there that this is the season of picking and that string beans as well as zucchini and other summer squash taste best when they are picked very small. If you can see them, you can eat them. And picking early encourages the plants to keep producing. But don't go inspecting your harvest to be just yet, because we'll be right back. You're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA.
Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we are in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we will convey vitally important information to you about the do's and don'ts of bird feeding. You do not want to be responsible for the silent spring that Rachel Carson warned us about many years ago. But before that, a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Gail, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. How are you? I am just Ducky Gail. Thank you for asking. Ducky is glad to be free of his mask and in the post-COVID world, at least for a little bit of time. Can we just get a couple of, <laughs> couple of months Definitely. to catch our breath before we go back underwater again? Uh, 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 how are you doing, Gail? I'm doing pretty fine. It's a nice day here and looking forward to getting out after work. Very good. Where is here for you? I'm in Lake Ann, Michigan today. Okay. And what part of Michigan is that? That is the tip of the pinky of the mitten of lower Michigan. <laughs> okay. So if you look at the as the lower Michigan is a, a mitten, we're in the pink. Oh, okay. Isn't there a name for people in lower Michigan? Um, don't you have a nickname of some weird sort? No, that's upper Michigan. They're the Upers. They're, They're the, in the Upers, UP, the and you're the Downers. <laughs> right. right. All right. Let's change the topic. What can we do you for? Well, I had a question after listening to one of your shows a couple of weeks ago, and I've heard you say many times not to use grass clippings in our compost because of the possible effects of residual herbicides. And my husband and I have been trying to for several years to keep grass under some trees. Um, keep it growing, and for the last few years, we've resorted to weed and feed to try to help it out, but it hasn't been successful. So now we're changing gears, and we're giving up on the grass. We're going to put in a native shade garden, but do we need to still worry about any residual herbicide in the soil um, affecting the new plantings, and if so, is there a way to minimize that? Boy, um, I wish you had called before you tried the weed and feed. You know, as much as I dislike these garden chemicals in general, the problem with grass under a tree, of course, is the tree. Not only the shade it throws, right. but the intense competition for nutrients and water from the tree's roots. So, you know, you're kind of going against nature when you try to do that. Um, yeah, that's what we found. Yeah. How big is the uh, circle of death around the tree? Oh, it, it's actually between two trees, and I would say that it's probably about 20 feet by 10 feet, so it's a fairly large area. Okay. Um, what I would do, first of all, is I would mulch the area with compost. Of course, that's what I'm going to do. Okay. Is, you know, when a plane crashed down the street, get the compost. 
Um, so I would mulch <laughs> the area with compost. You'll you'll like the look of it, um, the nice blackness. Okay. And what I would do is I would I would continue your thought of shade loving perennials, but let's plant them in containers the first year or two. Oh. Okay. And you avoid that soil. And in the meantime, uh, the only way of getting uh, residual herbicide out is through watering. Now, when herbicides were um, old school and they kind of went away on their own after six months or a year, that was easier to do. These residual ones, I mean, they get paid to hang out there. But all, the, more, mm. the more water in that area, the better. And I wouldn't try to grow anything in it right away. But you can use the space. Okay creatively you know put out uh you know put out a couple of pieces of statuary there you know the little boy peeing on the plants is always in good taste <laughs> and, and, some, and some other stuff and in terms of organic regulations uh three months should a uh, three months boy i wish it was only three months three years <laughs> and it's safe uh oh, to wow. plant okay. things there that are designated organic so two okay. years and you can call what's growing there transitional that's if you were growing for market uh, but i would do the containers you know for a couple of years who knows maybe you'll like it okay Okay, yeah, that's a great idea. Uh, hopefully we can get through all the tree roots. <laughs> yes. Well, that, see, that's another thing about the containers. Um, you, you really don't need to plant in the ground. Um, matter of fact, you might, want, you might want to make it a true raised bed when you finally get around to planting in it. And the deeper the raised bed, the okay. less you have to worry about stuff that may be a foot down. Okay, okay, very great. All right. Awesome. Give that a try. Send us a picture of the little Thank boy. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. You take okay, care. I will. I will definitely. Bye-bye. Thank bye. you very much. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. And come up with bye a better bye. name for the lower part of Michigan. Oh, okay. Well, I'm not going to share the downer uh, <laughs> yeah. name at this point in time. I think people would be too upset with that. Yeah. All right. Well, you take care. Have Thanks, a good Mike. season. Bye-bye. All right, as promised, it is time for the question of the week, which is our question to you. Are you killing your songbirds with kindness? Years ago, I was a guest speaker at an entomologist conference when an audience member asked a question that I'm sure many of us had previously pondered. What good are mosquitoes? What purpose do they serve? My first thought was, like many predators and parasites, they eliminate the weakest members of a species and thus increase the overall health of the herd. Uh, but I did not win the big money on Jeopardy that day, as the researcher's answer went in a very different direction. Without mosquitoes, he calmly replied, the vast majority of songbirds would become extinct. Take away the prey, and the predator must also fall. Talk about being hit in the face with a condensed custard cream pie of reality. And then I thought, oh, dragonflies too. 
They're the prime controller of mosquito numbers. So much so that one of their common names is the mosquito hawk. Now that exchange led to a lot of articles about natural mosquito control, a big part of which was making sure that local birds had plenty of shelter and fresh water with nesting boxes provided for the most carnivorous bird families. That tied nicely into my seemingly one-man crusade against feeding birds in the summertime. Ever since the magazine that I edited in the 90s, Organic Gardening, had run a lengthy article on birds versus bugs, I had become convinced that bird feeders were counterproductive to this cause. The simplest argument goes something like this. If you artificially feed your birds in the winter, they won't bother chasing down their natural prey which is big fat moths for larger carnivores, gnats, mosquitoes, noceums, and such for the swifter, smaller ones. The more bird feeders you hang and fill, the worse the damage to your crop that season because your best insect eaters are busy chowing down at the sunflower bar and bill. And... One of the things that worried me most about that equation was that it could be twisted around and cited by agricultural chemical criminals as evidence that natural controls don't work. I presented this argument many times in the pages of Organic Gardening magazine, the frequent but erroneous statement because of climate change, there isn't enough food in the wild for them now. The only people I could manage to convince somewhat were little old ladies who had watched Mary Poppins a hundred or so too many times and loved to spend their days in the park feeding stale chunks of bread to the birdies. Bad enough to feed them at all, I explained, but stale white bread contains less nutrition than the paper bag the little old ladies carried the bread around in. But such easy pickings will always attract dumb animals like pigeons, mice, rats, and people who refuse to become vaccinated. And so the birds will fill up on these empty calories and essentially starve to death with full bellies. I also ranted against bird feeders because their spillage would attract mice, rats, voles, evil squirrels, and raccoons. Maybe even that vegan couple next door. Oh, and the Humane Society recently chipped in by warning that if fed by humans, baby birds would lose their instinct to find food in the wild. Food that is amazingly abundant in the spring and summer. But there is this ancient and unique human trait that allows people to ignore several levels of reality if the topic involves something they really want to do. But then a kind of tragic miracle occurred. A secondary argument emerged from researchers that feeders had the potential to become disease vectors. Seed that got wet became moldy. 
harboring God knows what kinds of nasty organisms. The birds were crowded into an unnaturally small space when they were feeding, which is a surefire worry, which is a surefire way to spread disease quickly. And then there's the poop factor, or TPF. When wet, moldy seeds are topped with lots of bird poop. Looking back on it, it's hard to imagine disease not making the special guest appearance it has in these feeders. And the name of that special guest is Salmonellaosis, a member of the dread Salmonella family that is responsible for so many grocery store recalls, sicknesses, and yes, even death. With birds, the symptoms are even more horrifying. From the Pacific Northwest in Canada, across to New Jersey, and affecting every state in between, homeowners are horrified to find dead and diseased birds in and around their feeders. Some of the birds are blind in both eyes, with one eye protruding out of its socket. Some display troubling neurological symptoms, falling over with eyes that are swollen, shut, and crusty. Some have protruding eyes, and some are just plain blind. The disease seems to affect most, if not all, varieties of songbirds. So do your part. Wearing gloves, take down your feeders, clean them well, soak all parts with plain white vinegar, and then store them where birds can't get at them. Then wash your hands thoroughly. Same with any bird baths you have out. Lots of bird poop going into that water. What's the alternative? As you go forward, select and install plants that provide lots of food and shelter for the birds so that you can continue watching them safely. Well, that sure was some interesting advice on how to save our precious avian insect eaters now, wasn't it? Luckily for those of you who wish to read this information over in detail, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you'll always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes! My producer is now threatening to fill my bird feeders if I don't get out of this studio. Whew, we must be out of time. Ah, but you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your email, your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please include your location. You'll find all of our contact information, plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of recent shows, 
and links to our internationally renowned podcast. Oi, what do you want? Eggs with our beer? It's all at our website, youbetyourgarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he accidentally ate a chunk of red kryptonite, which he thought was a gummy bear. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is always cheerful, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minnick. Our audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is Judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. The usual gang of idiots for this episode is composed of Eric Werner, Zach the Tack, Harry the Horse, Lou the Shoe, and Nicely Nicely. Hey, Nicely, how's it going? Nicely, Nicely. Continued thanks to our fearless leader, CEO Tim Fallon, who either keeps allowing us to come in to take new material or still has no idea that we've been coming in here. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I'm tearing down the last of the spring peas, planting the first of my bush beans, harvesting potatoes and garlic and berries, and staying out of the sun so I can see you again next week. Support comes from Hot Bin Composters. Hot Bin Composters are designed to be compact, odor-free, and easy to use. With simple instructions and everything that's needed, Hot Bin Composters can help anyone get started with composting. More information is available at hotbincomposting-us.com. What poses a bigger danger to you? A hornet's nest hanging from a tree? Or little bee-like insects fluttering around a hole in the ground? I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and on the next You Bet Your Garden, we'll warn you about which one is your foe, plus your phobulous phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden. Thank you.